Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I, think, I feel like it's another ass comment, but... Jason Jason just called you on your bluff, and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the second best queer podcast on tennis in Toronto, the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. <laughs> I'm Haldwin. Sorry, just quoting one of our more recent reviews. Yeah, thank you to all those that have left reviews. Uh, they have been kind of underhandedly shady, <laughs> but what can you expect when we dish out the shade, Yeah, right? Yeah, it, get a shady review in return and makes total sense. Yeah, we're it's it's sort of going with form, I think. <laughs> um, are you exhausted from all the tennis the last two and a half weeks? Yes, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. We mentioned on last week's show, you and I played our own GLTA tournament. Um, was it last weekend? It was. Yeah, now officially a week and a half ago. A week and a half ago. I have not hit a ball since that final on Sunday. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> how, how HBU, how about you? Well, this is not something I shared last week, but I went to a physio because <laughs> I'm a little bit older now. Not, um, well, yeah, I am older than Roger Federer. I'm 43. So um, <laughs> things tend to hurt. And I had a niggling feeling in my knee during my first singles match and decided anyway that we would continue in doubles and I pulled out of consolation singles, which happens when you lose first round, <laughs> uh, which we won't talk about. Um, but yeah, we continued to play and we continued to win and we made the final, which Aldwin already alluded to. But I have a little bit of a tear um, or strain in my meniscus of my knee, according to my physio. So gave me Yikes. some exercises and uh, trying to find time to do those in between everything else. Uh, but it's feeling better um, a week later. So that's good. Honestly, Bianca, just take the time <laughs> <laughs> to recoup all of your myriad of injuries because <laughs> all we want is for you to be fresh and fancy and free for winter team tennis ah says the second best queer podcaster on the show <laughs> <laughs> no i you appreciate that oh, yeah listen we want you to be healthy uh shout out to i mean presu presumably the number one queer tennis podcast uh, in Canada, which is the body serve. We haven't chatted about you, but you guys have been in the game for a long time. And how could we argue? Uh, it's okay to be number two to you guys. Yeah, for sure. I've actually hadn't heard of them before, but I have tuned in and they do a good job. <laughs> Talk about underhandedly shady. No, I, I, <laughs> we I mean, I <laughs> like, I think you and I have decided, um, for better or for worse that it's it's not always a good idea to listen to other shows that are in your lane for fear of what, uh. or of like copying what they do so that's just something i don't necessarily do 
I love you so much because in that just one statement, there's just so many ripe fruits to pick. <laughs> You're right. We don't actively listen to other podcasts for fear of copying, but interesting how that just happens to be a regular occurrence in the podcast sphere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fine. It's just not something we choose to do. So, right. Um, We're, we, we rise above. We rise above. <laughs> and speaking of rising above... <laughs> Two players did that on Sunday, I would say, both in different ways, Daniil and Joko. Uh, honestly, okay, where can we start with this? Because there's so many points of entry. Can I just say this? We rarely talk about the atmosphere and particularly this occasion because it was a once truly once in a lifetime situation you have on one hand a representative from the new guard daniel medvedev cocky brash ready to keep joko at his 20 grand slams playing like he's hot like fire inspired by your love for him and um that one sign that turned it around <laughs> for Medvedev during the National Bank Open, Avi, mm-hmm. which I'm going to ask you about later in the show. Okay. You you got that one side versus a man who is so polemic, uh, divisive, people love him or hate him, going after Grand Slam, calendar glory. And you had Bradley Cooper. You had Maria Sharapova. You had uh, Brad Pitt. Anna Wintour, you had so many celebrities and tennis legends. Rod Laver, mm-hmm. who was the last man to achieve the calendar Grand Slam at this momentous event on Sunday. There you go, hon, setting the stage for this colossal encounter. And Leo DiCaprio. Leo was there. Captain of the Titanic. <laughs> and, and that Grand Slam ship sunk on Sunday. Yeah. Okay, were you okay i i want to ask you because i will tell you that on sunday i unfortunately wasn't in the comfort of my own home i have a little side hustle so i was helping a friend at her store and i was illegally downloading or streaming (laughs) the match on her computer no one tell her please thank you (laughs) but i was watching the match and it's you know the fuzzy the fuzziness because it wasn't a clear stream what where were you were you at home i was at home on my couch Drinking a glass of rosé. Ooh, juicy. Mm -hmm. I, as soon as the match started, Mm. I sensed immediately, at least for myself, as an outsider, putting myself in Joko's position, I felt like he was instantly the underdog, even though he was the favorite. Interesting. Yeah. He was the underdog. He was the guy who, you know, had everything on the line. And Daniil sort of put that out there as well, like that he didn't really have so much pressure. And he felt like Novak was going to have all the pressure and he was going to try and take um, take advantage of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, he went down early. He, he lost the first. I, I don't know if it was the first game or the third game where he went down a break. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was the first game. But yeah, you kind of felt that he was the underdog. And I don't know why I felt that, but um, so much 
on the line for him, obviously, in that match. Medvedev really not having as tough a time as Joko did. Joko ha- losing, I think, four first sets throughout the tournament. <laughs> having that match with Zverev that went five, which he also could have lost, but he turned it on in the fifth set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just sort of felt like this was going to be an uphill battle from from one love when he lost the first game. Yeah, I think that the matches where he went down a set, you never I was never concerned that he wasn't going to pull that pull that out. I, interesting that you should say because I had the same impression. I just felt like Joko was on the back foot from the beginning. Um, it seemed to me maybe you had a different impression, but Medvedev came out there with like a very specific game plan to be aggressive, particularly on his serve, and to try to kind of bully Joko around. I mean, you contrast that to the Zverev semifinal where it was like a game of Pong. Do you remember that Atari game? Yes. Like, <sighs> bored. Sorry, <laughs> personally. And remember, remind all of you that Zverev was my pick to win the whole thing. He almost did it. But like the speed, the pace, the hitting of the semi compared to the final, there was really no comparison. Medvedev went out with guns blazing, I thought. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I felt like he was, I felt like Joko was on the back foot. Medvedev was being the aggressor. And the strategy that I think was most interesting for Medvedev, particularly in the early stages of the match, was he was just hitting up the middle. Just hitting up mm. the middle, giving him nothing really to work with um you know doing that medvedev thing make getting every ball back and sort of making djokovic find his footing which he wasn't able to he i there was a few times in the match where he was like hitting his legs like come on get moving Mm. um Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he just wasn't balanced uh in his in his shots and maybe it was the weight of the occasion the having played you know, four or five more hours on court than Daniil had. But um, yeah, that, that I think was the telltale sign that he felt for me like he was the underdog in that match. Yeah, you know, it's always fascinating to watch a match from beginning to end. You have your own kind of narrative about what's going on in the court. And then what's you know, yes, I've said it before, post-match interviews, pre-match interviews, they always like are the worst because journalists are actually the worst and they ask the worst questions. <laughs> so yes, I am on record for saying that, but this particular post-match interview, obviously you wanted to get into the head of Joko of like, what was going on? What was it about this match that you weren't able to turn around? Because let's remind everyone, I mean, anyone that's a tennis fanatic knows that this French Open Joko was down two sets to my ex, Tsitsipas, right? Mm-hmm. And Joko admitted that in this match against Daniil, he didn't have the same energy that he did when he was down two sets against Tsitsi. He just felt, like you said, always on the back foot, always kind of um, behind the eight ball. And, you know, even though he was trying every which possible way to get back in the match, I think we should talk about that because I didn't really see Joko play the way that he did in that third set in any other match I've seen before. But he just, some days you just don't have enough. And if you think about the 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 occasion, like to not, Joko's been able to pull out of matches, like from his bunghole in so many occasions and mm-hmm. to not 
be able to pull it out <laughs> to make history and be the calendar Grand Slam winner just sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Does it suck <laughs> in terms of just him not having enough gas in the tank? Or is it also, you know, kudos to Medvedev as, as the yeah. opponent? Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think... Listen, man, Medvedev, we said on the show before, he's walking around brash, cocky, like, yeah, we're going to keep them at 20. Like, you know, it's our job as a new guard to, like, you know, stop this, <laughs> you know, this old guard wave. So I like that he executed his plan. And I like that he didn't shrivel up, like, you know, like a, I don't know what kind of... A prune? A prune, thank you. <laughs> like a prune and just, like, give it to Joko. He came out and he he served. And he let her have it. Yeah. And, you know, he was the better player. He definitely learned, I think, from the Aussie Open final where he had his own meltdown and sort of wilted away um, after mm. the second set. Um, yeah. I mean, what else do we need to do in terms of diving into the match? I mean, he had uh, a few more double faults than Joko, but uh, way more aces. So there was like... yeah. Um, he was on the positive side on that end. He won more points on his second serve, or uh, as a receiver on on this on on Joko's serve because Joko couldn't seem to have a, a good enough first serve percentage. So, yeah. Okay. So here is my question to you. This is something that I observed. Again, I defer to Jason because you know even though we've done this podcast for the past year and a half, Jason's been a fanatic of men's tennis from the jump. So he definitely has more uh, experience watching these players. I just thought that in that third set, when correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Joko was down one five. He love four and one five. Yeah, he was down. F- yeah, I think it was definitely four love. Um, yeah, he definitely was down love four. Yeah, and he got to five. Yeah, it was five one, and then he got it to five four. Right, and I had never seen him serve in volley as much as he did. I'd never seen him. Uh, chip short balls on his backhand before like the Joko that I'm used to watching is the Joko that will play backboard tennis until the cows come home you know and just exhaust you take the your knees out of you um, you know accelerate and play flat when he needs to he's kind of like remember I made the comparison to him as a sentinel he kind of like reads your game knows what your weaknesses are and then plays to those weakness Weaknesses. I just thought that Medvedev was so on fire and so kind of on point with his game plan that Joko was going to some desperate tactics that I'd never seen him play before. Like, he's not a servant volleyer. Mm-hmm. That bitch doesn't know how to fucking hit a short chip shot and, like, bring <laughs> Medvedev in. Like, did you not see that? Or yeah, he, just... was, he was at a certain point getting to a bit of a desperation moment, particularly in that third set. I mean, he was trying drop, drop shots, I thought, um, mm. in the second and third set, and they weren't really working. Medvedev is very quick for somebody who's 6'6", so he was easily getting to some of those balls. Yeah. But, yeah, there was a bit of uh, desperation in what he was trying. And, you know, for a player like Medvedev in 2019, when he was down two sets to Nadal, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff seemed to work for him like he was starting to serve in volley and you know pounding on the second serve he did a little bit of that against Joko on Sunday but yeah yeah he was able to Medvedev was able to mix things up in that 2019 final and and get himself back in um Mm. but yeah it wasn't working out for Joko on Sunday okay I have a really important question for you Mm -hmm. 
how do you feel now that you are the single person to be responsible for <laughs> Medvedev's first Grand Slam championship? <laughs> Does that feel like a lot of pressure for you? Do you feel like you deserve more accolades? Do you feel like, you know, all of the tennis publications out there have done you dirty by not saying, because of Jason Patterson's sign that he created at the NBO, where it all started, <laughs> he would, Daniil would have never won his first Grand Slam championship. I feel Tell like us. I do deserve a little something-something. <laughs> like maybe, you know, maybe a cool, like, 50 G off that check. <laughs> I love how you went right to prize money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, to, you know, he he wants to get his wife a gift. The gift was him winning <laughs> the slam. Mm. Uh, only his Only his wife and myself has said, we need a little bit more Daniil in our lives. So, you know, give me some of that shmoney. Listen, Daniil, we, yeah, listen, I'm going to say this on behalf of my podcast partner and your mistress and exactly your mistress. Mm -hmm. It's not a nice thing to ignore Jason's, uh, you know, undivided attention, his endless love for you. Sweet, sweet nothings. Sweet, sweet nothings. Give the girl a shout out at least, mm-hmm. okay? Don't Arnold Schwarzenegger her. <laughs> He's no maid. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and come on our show and talk to us about your first Grand Slam title that I helped you get. Yeah, man, come on, you can do it. <laughs> what else do we have to say about Novak? Because there was mm. another thing that seemed to switch in the changeover before the last game that Medvedev was serving out. What do you mean by something switch? Like a switch in? He he was covering his head with the towel. He had gotten very oh. emotional and was oh, and crying emotion. right before the match was over, seemingly knowing it was about to end, perhaps because Medvedev was serving so well. But what right. did you, th- what were your thoughts on all that? Okay, you know what? I do have a thought about this, and I'm glad that you asked the question, <laughs> Jason. That's why we have a podcast. <laughs> okay, all you Joko haters out there can really stuff a sock in it, okay? Here's why. You might hate his personality. You might hate that he, you know, you, you might hate that he uh, injured that lineswoman last year. That's I'm not um, condoning that behavior. But Djokovic is tennis is a tennis legend and the way that he behaved on that changeover to me demonstrated how much he cares about his legacy and his opportunity who wouldn't cry knowing that they were on the brink of losing an opportunity like that if you watch his post-match interview he was nothing nothing but um complimentary toward daniel and to me, that is a sign of a true gentleman. Now, all you naysayers and haters and hateration, drinking haterade all day, <laughs> can say that Djokovic is a fake, Djokovic is an uh, egotistical man, and all of that. But listen, you can only judge a person by his words. Yes, he has had faulty actions in the past, which he has apologized for. But I'm sorry. I First of all, he's the GOAT, so y'all can sit down, number one. Number two, um, he, to me, is just it just presents himself as 
a true gentleman. I don't know why you elevate Roger Federer and say that he's such a gentleman, so excellent for the sport, but in the same breath, you'd completely discard Djokovic and his attempt to apologize for his wrongdoings and try to turn over a new leaf. I mean, I think he's excellent for the sport, and mm-hmm. that's on record. Yeah. what a- Jason, you go. <laughs> what else is on record is that you told everyone to, s- <laughs> to sit down and stuff it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Y'all, y'all can hate me for that. <laughs> Something else happened, I think, mm. in that moment, in that he is the... As, as many people know, and as we've talked about on this show, he's the guy who followed people like Roger, people like Rafa, who mm-hmm. had their built-in fan base and had love and support. And he was the guy who sort of came up, perhaps you might consider him the third wheel of that three. <laughs> and that third wheel is always bumpy. It, it, it causes bumps. <laughs> but he... In, in that moment and, and throughout the match, Daniil was the Djokovic of that match. Mm. And Djokovic was mm. Rafa. Djokovic was Federer mm. in that final. Because, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the tournament where there was that awkward match against Rune where people were chanting his name and, and maybe <laughs> there was some misunderstanding about what they were saying and Djokovic didn't have fan support. It evolved and people started to realize what he was about to achieve. And the reason all of those people came out that you listed um, was because they wanted and hoped that he would achieve that. And he I I sensed that he felt in that moment at 5-4 when he was about to lose that he had finally gained the support of the fans. And I I think that. in that moment and in that match, even though he lost, I feel like it's 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 permanently switched. Oh, I hope so. I mean, that would be that would be great. I mean, listen, you and I scour and see all of the comments that are made by the tennis ether on Facebook, on Instagram, on every possible social platform. There were a lot of people out there, the Joko haters, that just were living. Living for the fact that the that Daniil Medvedev was essentially their Jesus Christ, like the savior, <laughs> right? Am I wrong? Just like stopping the demon from getting the calendar Grand Slam. And there's always going to be those haters. But I hope you're right, Jay, honestly, because wasn't it Chris Everett or was it Tracy Austin that said that they hoped that Djokovic would get a little bit more love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all of them said it. Mary Jo Fernandez said oh. it at some point. But yeah, you're yeah. you're right. Chris Everett said that. Tracy had said it earlier in the tournament or before another tournament or after the Olympics or something. They all, I think, said something like that as he was working towards achieving something monumental and something that hasn't happened in 52 years. And yeah, could be 52 more before there's another opportunity. I mean, too bad, Rod Laver. Sorry, man. I mean, you're a tennis legend, tennis immortal, and it would have been a nice thing to see. It would have been a nice thing to see another man achieve what you did in, I think, twice, 52 and 56. Um, But it was just not meant to be. And funny that 
we always say on our podcast and even in our personal matches, it's just a point here or there, but that's tennis. Mm -hmm. Tennis is about being on the brink of achieving something great and sometimes it not being enough. And if there's a person to be uh, the poster boy for that, unfortunately it's Joko, but I mean, we can't forget what kind of season he had. Three Grand Slam fine, uh, three Grand Slam championships, and one Grand Slam final. Mm-hmm. That is beyond. Just so nobody checks us, um, Rod Laver got his second calendar slam in 1969. Got, the, okay, the, not 56. Not 56. <laughs> the first one, I can't remember if it was 63 or 64, but gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Why did I think 52 or 56? I think because I, think I, I said it was, it's been 52 years since ah, okay. since Rod okay. Laver did it in 1969. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to say about that match? Anything else to say about your prediction gone wrong with Zverev? Is he one step Honest- closer for you? Listen, we posted on our, on our IG what our favorite stories were that were coming out of the U.S. Open, and one really shady... Um, IG follower said Zverev choking and I questioned her and I said did he really though I honestly don't think that his semifinal against Joko was a choke I don't I think that okay maybe in terms of his serve and how just feeble his serve was in that fifth set maybe you could consider it a choke but I think that Zverev has accomplished so much this summer with the gold medal and with him winning the masters that, you know, just him going up against Joko and losing the semifinal, I wouldn't consider a choke. And, um, yeah, I'm still happy with my pick. Mm-hmm. I'm still happy with that. I pick Zverev. I think that he is, he'll have his moment in a grand slam one day. It just wasn't this one. TBH. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and to be clear and to clarify for all of our listeners, my f- my winner pick was hmm. Medvedev. Yeah. My sentimental choice after your pick lost was Djokovic. I was rooting for him to win the calendar slam because that would have been an amazing moment. But it's yeah. equally amazing that Medvedev was able to stop him. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that would be the... One of the major headlines coming out of the, I mean, obviously, out of the U.S. Open, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're getting better at this. A little bit, a I little mean, bit. Number one, number two, I wouldn't consider it like a <laughs> on the, really... On the men's side. What a great prediction, yeah. Jason. I, <laughs> I mean, you're not really going out on a limb there, but sure. Let's give Jason a clap for predicting a number one versus number two final. <laughs> I mean, it was no Daniel Collins. <laughs> I mean you are fucking right on that. <laughs> I was I I loved that pick. I would have lived for that pick, but Okay, before we scoot, scoot to the women's, what are your thoughts on FAA his first semi semifinal our Canadian boy? We, he was the hopeful for us to have two Canadian finalists. Mhm. What are my thoughts about Felix? I think for the first time, Felix showed that he could hang with the big boys um, and really deliver on the package of goods, <laughs> goods and services, uh, <laughs> the package of goods that everyone in the tennis world always knew that he had. It was just a matter of getting 
um, all of the elements together, the mental, the physical uh, side of the game. Uh, to your point last week, you, the fruits of his partnership with Mr. Nadal, I think, are come have come to bear. So I think it was a positive thing for Felix, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that Felix, everyone needs that one tournament, that one important tournament, whether a slam or a master's, more importantly, a slam, to go deep in, to tell, to prove to yourself that you've got what it takes. Like Felix is going to go into every slam if he's healthy, knowing that he can contend and he can get deep in a draw. And really, that's all it takes. So just like Bianca was doing on the women's side, and unfortunately she lost and has suffered, you know, has suffered a bit of an injury. Felix can now say to himself, you know what? I'm going to head into this Australian Open. I made the semis of the U.S. Open. I know I can hang. I know I can put it together. I know I can work myself through a draw. And it's a great thing for him. Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of of seeing them in the draw, seeing Felix. Hopefully, Dennis can get it back together again. Seeing Bianca and maybe seeing Layla and seeing all four of them and knowing that they're <laughs> going to be potentially contenders in in all the events and all the slams it would be amazing because you know for for ever we had Raonic and you know he was spotty and then he made a final and he's made a few semis at the aussie open but mm-hmm. to have like four or five names that we can rely on to go deep in tournaments and vie for titles that's very cool yeah agreed there have been so many publications that have come out with i mean to quote Renee Stubbs in Leila Fernandez's semi-final post-match win, she's like, "What's going on up there in Canada? What are you? What are you guys feeding the tennis players, or what are you guys eating that's you know producing so many talented tennis players?" And you know, Jason and I made um, alluded to it on our IG. Maple syrup was Layla's answer, but I think that's super exciting. I mean, you throw in the mix Rebecca Marino, like, please. She made uh, her first round through qualifying. She's on the up and up. She's another factor to consider. And a healthy genie who we interviewed last year, um, who made a final and is finding her game again, but unfortunately was just like sidelined with a shoulder injury. You, we got a lot of names. When every when every Canadian's healthy and is able to contend, we are a force to be reckoned with. So I think that's a super cool thing. Yeah, we wish Jeannie the best as she recovers and you know finds her game as she's finding disgusting punty pumpkins in her <laughs> closet that are two years old. <coughs> what is up with that? <laughs> what? Who keeps a pumpkin? Pu- pumpkin? A pumpkin in a closet? We asked her about it, and she said that she forgot about it. That's nasty. That is okay. nasty. We'll, <laughs> yeah. We'll send someone over to help clean clean up your apartment. <laughs> um, okay, that's a wrap on the U.S. Open men's side, but we have to talk, obviously, about the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> what a dream. What a dream uh matchup two teenagers two very different uh stories through the u.s open one going through qualifying only losing 
five games in any given set up through qualifying, only losing, I think, three or or four games in a set up until the final. Mm-hmm. And then you have our our girl Layla beating really tough opponents, you know, basically yeah. from round two through the semifinals, Kanepi, Osaka, who was the fourth one? Kerber. Uh, Kerber, Svitolina. Svitolina and Sabalenka. Sabalenka. Like, mother yeah. F. Chrissy Everett said it him, herself. She said that, you know, Leila Fernandez definitely had the more difficult, <laughs> I mean, come on, way more difficult draw. Yeah. No offense to Emma Raducanu, but she definitely had to take out some tight, titans on the women's tour multitudes of grand slams from those players that she defeated and you know she just did not look the fresher of the two in that final mm-hmm. um listen we interviewed Layla in in april we all know you know that because we blasted every possible social media outlet that we have to remind you that she made her stake at the number at the top 10 back in April when we interviewed her. But needless to say, we didn't focus a lot on Edna Raducanu because although she's a uh, Canadian-born, Toronto-born, she left Toronto when she was two, moved to Great Britain. Looking at Emma Raducanu's game, ag- sizing up against Layla, and just a reminder, they did play in the 2018 Wimbledon Junior Juniors Tournament where Emma won in straight sets. I actually think it was the same... Score line. I think it was like it was two and four. Yeah, so similar. Something like that, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Like, what did you think about their matchup? Like, when you watched them kind of go at it in the final, like, what was it about? What did you find interesting? They seemed to be going toe-to-toe off the ground. I like that they both were um, hitting the ball early both Mm -hmm. sort of standing close to the baseline or somewhat inside the baseline. Mm -hmm. I don't think I realized how strong Emma was off the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way she's able to redirect pace that is coming towards her. They, they have very similar games, I would say Mm -hmm. the only challenge again in this particular match, as with, um, Joko was Layla wasn't um, having I was having a challenging day with her first serve. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I was really intrigued, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? I was really curious to see how they were both matching up. In last week's episode, I was talking about the genie effect, and the genie effect being when you're a new player on the tour, you play fearlessly, you. Um, hug the baseline you take all the balls early you have confidence to redirect you you have confidence to be the aggressor and both of those players Layla and Emma were doing that flawlessly and it's the reason why honestly they ended up getting to the final um Layla not having the fresher legs and again have Layla having the more difficult draw I think really caught up to her that being said we have to remember that Emma Raducanu qualified for the fucking main draw Mm-hmm. That girl won 10 matches. She's the first qualifier in history Evs. to win a Grand Slam title. Evs. Evs. You know what I mean? So when we're saying that Layla was tired, Layla didn't have to play three other matches. She didn't. But she did have to play more fierce opponents. Yeah. And opponents with, you know, more um, 
more experience, have had had more success. No offense to Emma's opponents who, whatever, you know, also did very well. Mm-hmm. What I found really as keys to the match was number one, Radu Kanu's inside out forehand. That girl is a gym courier. She loves running around that backhand and hitting an inside out forehand all day or day. Okay. Backhand return, WTF. Layla was, listen, when you're a lefty, unless you're me and don't know how to hit a lefty serve, Radu Kanu was waiting for that slice lefty serve on the return all all day mm-hmm. and she was hitting cross court winners i don't even remember how many cross court backhand winners she was hitting just off the return and so that was definitely a shot that was working to her advantage um when she was serving her she must have talked about this with her coach but you know i don't know if you noticed jay but radu kanu was standing kind of in the middle of the doubles alley in the service line yeah, trying to get that wide, wide serve yeah, yeah. Ooh, girl, you were you yeah. were noticing. I kept and saying get... to I kept saying to wait. I was like, she needs to move over. <laughs> yeah, and but Radu Kanu was serving wide. She was getting backhand replies from Layla that was down the center of the court, and she was just ripping that forehand down the line. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a tactic that earned her a lot of points and definitely allowed her to capitalize on important parts of the match. Yeah, if we could have messaged Layla on IG, we would have said creep over girl because she's gonna <laughs> she's good, going wide to your backhand you need to hit that down the line so she can't run around to her forehand on the return yeah yeah i know and she would have seen it because we're in her what her primary inbox we're, we're in her primary box <laughs> yeah exactly um one thing as well that i would say about that match is she didn't engage the crowd as much as she did in all the other matches Mm-hmm. I think Emma did a little bit of a better job doing that, and maybe she just didn't find her place, um, or or find uh, like a a point or a moment that she felt she could do that. <clears throat> it just reminded me of when Rounich made the final at Wimbledon, and he was being coached mm-hmm. by Johnny Mack, and how he was, you know, really ginned up and really excited, winning points, and he would you know, yell and clinch his fist. And then in the final, he did none of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not that I Layla mean, was to that ex- extreme. Cause I, I felt like Rownich in that final in Wimbledon was, it was very extreme how he acted through to the semifinals when he beat Federer and, and in the final against Andy Murray, I think, you know, Layla had, had still had a bit more energy and she's always positive and always like clinching her fist and, you know, shadow mm-hmm. swinging yes. at the back of the court. But the way she engraved, engaged the crowd in the earlier uh, matches and the three set battles that she had with all those top 20 opponents, it wasn't there in the final the way it was with the, in those matches. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, returning back to school, a lot of my fellow teachers know that we that you and I interviewed Layla, and their number one comment to me was how just charming and wonderful she is, how she managed to really get the New York crowd on her side. And now that she has, I mean, I haven't checked, but I think it's something like 275,000 uh, Instagram followers when at the beginning before the tournament she had what 14,000 something like that we checked how many followers she had 
at the end of her defeating Naomi Osaka, and it was mm-hmm. eighteen thousand and change. Mm-hmm. And you were and like, "Why?" You were like, "Watch this. We gotta, we gotta pay attention <laughs> to this because this is gonna boom up." Yeah, and you know, it's uh, to your point because she's been so wonderful to the New York crowd. She has gained fans literally everywhere. That would not be two hundred seventy-five thousand followers had she not been so just able to connect with fans. And I, th- I agree with you. I think if she found a way to Jimmy Connors that shit in the final. It might have been a different story because, you know, you have to understand that her and Emma are both new, really relatively new to the tennis world. So maybe if she understood how much of an impact she had on the fans and used that to her advantage, she might have gotten a little bit more juice and been able to turn things around. But, you know, I mean, you never know. Mm-hmm. But it was amazing yeah. run, I think, for both of them. Speaking mm-hmm. of followers, I think Emma, after her Wimbledon run, had 500,000, and now she's like at <laughs> 1.4 million I, or something like that. I cannot. Honestly, I cannot. You know, and just a little kind of media story out there. She was on, it wasn't the Today Show, I think it was GMA, so Good Morning America. And it's funny because when you're the winner of the U.S. Open on the women's side, it's equal prize money, right? E- yeah. Equal prize money for men and women. So one of the um, one of the hosts asked her, what are you going to do with that $2.5 million? And she said the first thought that came into her head was, I'm going to buy some AirPods. <laughs> AirPods like, are the headphones? AirPods are the Apple headphones. And <laughs> it's because she lost her AirPods. <laughs> um you know, earlier in the tournament. And the funny thing to come out of that interview was, I don't know whether you know this, it was news to me, but she had booked her ticket to fly back to the UK last week. So she was looking to make, what is it? I mean, on the Saturday of the first week, what is that, the fourth round? Yeah, the fourth round would be like the Saturday-Sunday. Saturday, Sunday. So she was like, you know, I'm going to make a nice third round. I won my 125 in Chicago. All's cute. I'm going to bring my, you know, <laughs> 50 cents that I earned. I shouldn't say 50 cents. You know, <laughs> she earned a nice penny for that for that championship. But she was, you know, happy to uh, go back to the UK uh, after a third round. Lo and behold, she ends up winning the championship. And the other funny thing that I wanted to mention was that, like, if you think about her grand slam record the only loss that she had between wimbledon and the u.s open was a retirement <laughs> so she's tech i mean technically she is defeated but i mean not technically she's undefeated yeah because she didn't actually lose completely to an opponent i know it is crazy that wimbledon was her debut she was a wild card and then she had to qualify to get into the U.S. Open and wins 10 matches and wins the whole thing. And it now is number 23 in the world from 150. Right. Okay, I've got a really good kind of concluding question um, that um, uh, that uh, consolidates our kind of discussion about new guard versus old guard. So this entire year and a half that you and I have been doing this podcast, again, one of the running themes has been, you know, when are we going to transition into a new era of tennis where we've got new people to root for? And, um, you know, we can gracefully say goodbye or phase the old 
old is such a harsh adjective. Yeah, but I'm I mean, old. it's accurate. Is <laughs> I'm old. I'm old too. <laughs> I mean, ac- but is it not accurate? I mean, we've seen these faces. We have reverence for them. Mm-hmm. Venus being one of them. Federer, etc. You know, what did you not think that this U.S. Open was the symbolic manifestation of what we've been talking about for the last year and a half? Yeah, I mean, it is very strange to have teenagers again making finals. It sort of harkens <laughs> back to the day, the golden era of when we watched tennis, the Hingis, the Salis. Yes. Times. Yes. And, you know, it's just super cool to see somebody that we interviewed make a Grand Slam final. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> I I would not have expected it for her. I would not have expected it to, for her to, you know, get as close as she has now towards the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, it only takes one magic moment one tournament to turn your whole year around like she i think had only been making second and and you know losing in first round since she won that tournament in mexico so Mm -hmm. i mean what an amazing achievement all of her work and training and and coaching from her father um has paid off she just looked like a better player yeah i agreed on all of those points um, I'm excited. I really am excited. I mean, it, to breathe life into anything, there has to be newness. And even though we love our um, icons and pillars of the sport, everyone knows I love a Venus Williams. Everyone knows you love a Juan Martin Del Potro. I think we're in this transition phase where we've got a nice mix of old guard and new guard. I mean, I think back to women's tennis in 1999 when you had people like Steffi, Monica, Lindsay Davenport, and then you had the new guard, which was um, Venus Williams, Martina Hingis, um, and uh, Serena Williams. And then you kind of had a middle guard like uh, Justine Hennen, Mary Pierce. I think we've got a really cool, cute mix of players that, you know, if everyone plays their best, it's just going to make for a really exciting time in tennis. And that's all you can ever ask for from a sport. I mean, to your point, you've said on this podcast before, it gets really boring when you have a couple of people just winning everything. Mm -hmm. And now you have the potential for anyone to win anything. And that goes for the men's side as well, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, now that we have Daniil emerging as somebody who has defeated a big three, you know, not since Stan Wawrinka in 2016 has it happened in a final. <laughs> ah. So, ah. yeah, I think it's all very exciting. It's all, you know, been a big theme of uh, our conversations over many, many episodes. All you have to do is go back and download those and hear us talking about all that. So, yeah, it's a, an exciting time for tennis. And I think what's even more exciting is that we'll get to see one more sort of major event in Indian Wells, the rescheduled Indian Wells in a couple Ah, of weeks. Yes. So that, you know, 10 or 12 day event will feel like another sort of grand slam. So we have something more to talk about and we'll see how, how things shake, shake up and how things shake up. 
how things shake yeah. shake down, shake up, shake down, shake up. Sure. How things um, transition out of the U.S. Open into that event. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> they they have another major event to kind of look forward to. But I agree with you. I think it'll be really fascinating to see how all of these rising stars do at Indian Wells because they've never mm-hmm. had that before. I mean, everyone's usually kind of prepared for the Asian swing. They go over to China and Japan and play those hardcore tournaments to kind of conclude the year. But Indian Wells is uh, upcoming and that's super exciting to see what's going to happen. I've seen also that a few players have been um, chosen to make the next gen finals what what is your what is your over under about felix actually attending that and playing in that event felix making the next gen finals i think because he's the next gen yeah the the next gen finals wherever they're being played i think because like what's my he's he's 20 years old so he's sort of no he's he's too good for that He's too good for that. Like, come on, girl. No, uh, you're good. You made you've you've been on the beat for a minute. Like, you've been on the tour. What are you doing going to the next gen finals? <laughs> Give it to freaking what's his name, Brooksby. Give it to Draper. Aren't they like? Are, don't wouldn't they qualify for that? The other the other two that I remember seeing were Alcaraz and yeah, Corda, Sebastian Corda. Even Alcaraz and Corda, I'd be I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need to be part of this next gen situation. Like they're better than that. No offense. Yeah, I want. Well, Am I, I wrong. I wondered what. Yeah, I mean, it sort of speaks to whether um, there's a need for it. If if players yeah. who are actually emerging and and making deep runs in tournaments won't actually play it, then who who does it end up being for at that point? Yeah, I I don't know. My opinion is like they've proved themselves on the ATP tour. Next gen to me is like, you know, who's the eight year old at your local club tournament that's going <laughs> to like kill it and eventually make it into, a, you, you know, a main draw of a Grand Slam like t- 10 years down the road. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I don't want to see Felix there. It's like who wants to play on that weird court and with and, those weird rules? And the yeah, the f- uh, first to four tie break at three yeah, all ew. yeah I'm, I'm good man like <laughs> is there even prize money for that there must be there must be yeah i don't know what it is but anyway now we, they're too good Sorry. we mildly digressed um yeah one thing i wanted to add and thank you to all of you who went to our youtube channel and watched our Layla mm. interview because i think before the tournament we had about a hundred views and now we have close to three thousand you checked oh my god wow that's a maze wow thank you so much for for watching the interview i mm-hmm. mean listen we st- uh, we made sure that you we reminded you that we did interview Layla five months ago um but it's super cool it's super cool to see people kind of accessing our interview and seeing what was going on before all of this happened at the u.s open mm-hmm continuing with Layla and other players they went out for a night on the town <laughs> so well deserved. Okay, so Jay Met Gala. Yes. Okay. Fundraiser for the Met. Yes, fundraiser for the Met. That's right up your alley as a fundraiser yourself. Mm-hmm. Anna Wintour's event. 
um, who is the editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine, the um, you know quintessential fashion magazine in the United States. She had a couple of co-chairs for the Met Gala, wh- whose theme this year was American independence, so possibly controversial. We saw AOC there. I don't know what you thought about her dress, <laughs> but anyway, that's for a different podcast. Causing a fervor, for sure. <laughs> Causing a fervor. Um, Naomi Osaka was a co-chair, um, and it, it bears mentioning that Anna Wintour is a huge fan of tennis and she's done so much for, I mean, she's done so much for the tennis community and giving exposure, but, um, yeah, there are so many of our, our, of play of our friends that are friends. There are so many <laughs> tennis players that were there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Layla was there. Felix was there. Who else did you see? Uh, Berrettini and his girl. I didn't see Berrettini. I saw them only because I saw on the multitude of photos a photo with uh, those two and Felix and Layla. Damn, did he look cute? He must look really cute. He had cute. like a traditional tux on, so he looked good. And Felix oh, looked okay. good in his sort of white tux, the sort Damn. of the reverse, yeah. Right. I posted on our IG, you know, like what y'all think about how Felix looked. He. I'm assuming that's his girlfriend. I, I mean, his girlfriend. I assume so. I don't actually know for sure. Yeah, I don't know. But he looked damn fine in that white tux. He looked really good. Mm-hmm. Can I just can I just say, so you and I, again, talked about this offline about an hour ago in prepping for the podcast. Who was there? Maria Sharapova, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. First of all, Venus Williams looked stunning beyond Beyond two words, we talk about stunning. her st- <laughs> stunning. Stunning. <laughs> we posted about Venus Williams' look on uh, Facebook on the um, GLTA Players Lounge. My God, people's response to how Venus looked was unimaginable. People were just living for her look. She might have struggles on the tennis court, but she definitely doesn't have struggles <laughs> on the red carpet. But I don't know what you felt, but when Maria Sharapova posted an IG story of her, Serena, and Venus at the Met. Did that not give you a little warm and fuzzy? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a meeting that you would never think would happen. I obviously wouldn't happen outside of a $35,000 a ticket gala. But, um, <laughs> you know, when the wealthy come together... Um, they, they, they put their differences aside for charity. <laughs> so yeah, I love it was you so much. <laughs> it was. It seemed like they were having fun, and you know, all of the things that Maria said about Serena in her book seemed to just be wiped away. Listen, you know what? Honestly, I, yeah, agreed. It just gave me such a warm and fuzzy because the illusion of them being friends and being able to put those monstrous comments that Serena and Maria shared about each other when they were both getting dogged by, um, what's his face, Dimitrov, right? They can put that shit aside and they can, you know, now that they're both married, Maria is retired, you know, um, they can kind of chill and have a good time at the Met Gala. I thought that was really cute. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Norton Hills, one of our followers from The Jump, sent us into our IG um, a picture of uh, Maria and Serena in the bathroom of the Met Gala. And it looked like they were having a little kiki, which is cute. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just like a 
photo for show. It looked like they were just genuinely having a great time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they all looked really good as well. We have to mention Sloan. I thought Sloan looked amazing. Yes. I know nothing about fashion, so I always defer (laughs) to you, Mr. Um, Miss Universe extraordinaire. (laughs) Sloan, listen, Sloan looked amazing. And, you know, I just wanted to throw it out there. You know, maybe it's just a little kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge uh, for us. But not to make anyone jealous, Jason and I were messaging Layla uh, on the on the evening that she was getting prepared for a Met Gala. And she was telling us live that she was like so excited. And nervous. You know, and nervous. Girl, send us a picture of your dress. So it's just a cute little, you know, situation that Jason and I have with Layla where, you know, having interviewed her five months ago, she is just so wonderful and so kind and so humble that she remembers us uh, even on one of the most exciting nights of her life. Being at the Met Gala. So cool. Immigrant girl from Laval comes up, <laughs> supported by Tennis Canada. Yeah. Works her way through the juniors, junior French Open champion, wins a title in Mexico, tells us she's going to be in the top 10, makes <laughs> makes the U.S. Open final. Wowsies. Chats with us after her finals <laughs> match talks to us as she's getting her makeup did for the Met Ball. Pretty cool. Super cool. Super, super cool. Um, Kate, one little question for you as we wrap up our show. How do you feel? Do you feel sad or do you feel happy? (laughs) Like, I just feel like you and I have gone through a gauntlet of tennis over the past two and a half weeks, both personally and, you know, in, in terms of the U.S. Open. I don't know what obviously there's Indian Wells to look forward to, but I just, I think that it was a fairy tale Mm -hmm. for, I know personally for you and I making the final of Montreal, but also for all the stories that came out of the U S open. Yeah. For all of that to be happening at the same time, us playing our own GLTA event in Montreal, the first in, that was the first tournament for me in two years. I think the same for you. Mm-hmm. And not really having any expectations. Let's just put it out there. You were hitting amazingly in your first round match and in your second round match before you cramped. Oh, man. I know. Oh, well. It's <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> and I tweaked my knee in my first round lost to a guy who gets every ball back. Mm-hmm. Figure skater. Figure skater. Tried to recover and ice myself didn't play singles so that we could play doubles and we made a final and we gelled and played really well uh not always well at the same time which Mm -hmm. is one of our downfalls i think (laughs) and uh we had opportunities in that final we were up 4-1 in the second set didn't win a game after that yeah i mean listen Admittedly, you and I played zero doubles <laughs> this summer. 0.0, yeah. 0.0 doubles this summer. So to go in cold, uh, seated number three, and take out two really good teams, and then to kind of hang tough in that final, I think is an awesome achievement. I think it's a level up. You and I have 
always look to just get better. And, you know, for a while we were losing first round matches, but in super tie breaks, then we managed to get over that hump, win the first round, but then flame out in the second. So this was really a breakthrough for us. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, um, listen, you tore, tore, so dramatic. You either tore or like really damaged your meniscus. My physio uses those words interchangeably. And he says (laughs) he tries not to use tear because tear sounds scarier than um strain so he chooses Uh, he chooses strain even though technically they both mean the same thing ah so a strain and a tear are kind of the same thing yeah but he uses strain because it doesn't sound as scary yeah listen we leveled up which was the name of one of our podcast episodes last year and executed and And executed. And honestly, the next logical step is for us to win a fucking thing, yeah. which is just a matter of time. So, yeah, and good job. Our last tournament was Montreal two years ago where we made the semifinal. So, yes, that's mm-hmm. why we were seated. And that's why we, you know, not not that's why we made the final. But we did have a practice match the day before mm-hmm. the tournament started. And we played one or two doubles matches i think in the month month and a half leading up but nowhere near like dean practicing six hours a day (laughs) (laughs) but i mean congrats to him he made the the semi-final in singles but no he made the final did he make the final in singles He he made the final he lost to our the guy that we beat in the doubles oh that was a final oh my bad congrats to our East York club mate. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to be clear, I use the word tear because it is dr- more dramatic. <laughs> it's a tear. I, it's a tear. <laughs> Listen, I am looking forward to, I have enjoyed, and I'm sure that you have too, although you did tear your meniscus. I've enjoyed having a little break from tennis. That weekend was super intense even though we saw all of our girlfriends had a great time. I mean, like, honestly, Jason and I are best friends, but we're best friends mostly through tennis. But it was nice to just hang, Mm -hmm. you know, and just chat about stupid shit and, Mm -hmm. like, be with our girlfriends and have a wine. (laughs) Hot guys at the bar. Have a little flirt flirt going on for me. And, um, yeah, it was just nice to socialize in that respect. So that's why GLT is so important to us. But um, just back to the tennis, like, you know, when you are on the mend and you're back, it'll be great to kind of test our mettle. I actually was thinking about this uh, this afternoon on the way home from work. You know, we said that we should bump ourselves down to A2. I kind of think that's a fucking mistake. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. Like, I actually had forgotten that we moved back to A2. As I was finding subs, I was reaching out to A1 players. And then I was like, oh, crap, I can't do that. That's not right so yeah we'll see how it goes and if we beat everyone as we know we can then we'll go back to a1 next year yeah well uh you know we'll take it as just practice and then we'll be back to our regular winning ways in a1 next year yeah what are we going to talk about next week i don't i have no idea we'll figure (laughs) we'll figure it out (laughs) like are there tournaments going on this week there are yeah there are it's crazy (laughs) it never is casper is Casper Rude winning one of those other tournaments? Probably. He's, yeah, he's probably somewhere <laughs> on clay winning matches and, you know, inflaming Nick Kyrgios. 
We know that Nick Kyrgios is playing a lot of video games. That's for he, sure. He loves them video games. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, I guess we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week, and thank you for becoming a patron on our Patreon. Yes, thank you to the pa- the new patrons, and thanks to the new followers and everything and like such as. Yes, yay, yay. Bye-bye. <laughs> We're here for your tennis-tainment or your tentertainment or whatever it is, but if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.